I focus in a lot with the foundation on finding young women the uh, resources to you know understand what having a positive self image looks like, and you know I'm not looking at the latest YouTuber or social media influencer for how your body should look. In early 2016, Akia Red was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. After hiding her condition out of fear and shame, Akia quickly realized it was only getting worse, affecting her physically to the point of a nervous breakdown. It wasn't until she acknowledged the situation with her loved ones, seeking out treatment from her therapist and doctor, that things started to get better. As a form of self-expression and healing, Akia Red created her own blog sharing her feelings about mental health and authenticity. The flow of support she received from the community compelled her to create Real Girls Fart, a space to empower and equip women with the necessary tools to use their voices and become their best, most authentic selves. Akia uses her life experience in mental health disorder to help women find their voice and let it out. Okay, well... Welcome to another episode of the Gravity Podcast. We are here today with my good friend, Akia Red. And uh, boy, it's really nice to see you and to see your smile and to be with you here and to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. Well, I appreciate you for having me. It's good to come and hang out with you for a little while and just kind of chat it up. You and you know your family are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful friends of ours. So, Yeah, well, we feel the same way. And I think this is the first husband and wife duo to come on the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love you both individually and you have such, you know, great different journeys and paths that have been connected, you know, for so long. But, you know, you've really emerged as a leader in your own right and really been uh, somebody that I've admired watching share the journey of life um, that that you're on and sharing it very openly and vulnerably and in a way that maybe might be uncomfortable um, for you and for others. But 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 you know I have a tremendous value around bringing these subjects around mental health and just life in general into the light. That's the reason for this podcast is really to give people an opportunity to hear the full human journey, you know, for all that it is and, and take some comfort in it and, and see, you know, how they too can move through it and be successful like you have. So it's awesome to have you here. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the most beneficial things of sharing your story is, the fact that you never know who you're helping, you never know who's listening um, and who's actually going to benefit from hearing the things that you've experienced and learning from the path that you took to, to wholeness and to healing. And what's funny is like, when you just said what you said about admiring me, I'm like, man, I feel the same way about you because I remember when I first started the journey, what, four and a half, five years ago now, um, I talked to you uh, about it when we were just on one of our double dates with uh, Katie and Michael. And so you were one of the first people that I actually confided in about, you know, what I was going to do and what I was going through. So it's kind of full circle to actually be sitting here on your podcast, you know, talking about all this. Mm, yeah, I remember that night. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, one of the things that I think really is important is to have people around you to go through things together with, to be able to share yourself with and to yeah. be accepted and supported. And again, you know, not everybody is fortunate enough to have good friends to do that, you know, um, and, and or realizes the value of sharing themselves. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do here is create a community for sharing uh, vulnerably and to be, you know, received um, openly. So let's, let's dive in. Let's start kind of at the beginning. You know, that's where I believe a lot of um, our journeys really, um, you know, start to take shape. You know, tell me a little bit about your early childhood, your family upbringing, anything kind of in the very early days that stands out as important as you look back. 
Yeah. So I am a PK, or for those who don't know what that stands for, it's a preacher's kid. Um, so I grew up in a very um, strict Pentecostal church and um, where we over-spiritualize everything, pray about everything, um, and really just uh, center ourselves and our lives around our faith. And so while that had positives, I think that, you know, there were also some negatives that that I took away from that. And, you know, I had a very tumultuous upbringing with my mom and my dad because growing up in a pastor's house, um, you know, you obviously hear your dad preaching and talking about these things in the Bible. And then you come home and you see a different lifestyle. And it was very conflicting and crazy making for me um, as a child. And, you know, also just seeing my mom go through the pain and hurt of, you know, being married to my father was also very difficult and shaped, I think, the way that I view relationships, the way that I view, um, you know, really mostly everything in my life. It just, it, it did some things to me that I think what you just said, right about the importance of community. I think that that was really one of the things that I lacked growing up, you know, because there was this, you know, saying that like, you don't tell strangers your business and you, you keep people out of your business. And so, you know, that's very prevalent in the black community, but extremely prevalent when you are in, you know, highly popular religious circles and your parents kind of, kind of have a name for themselves in that community, you're isolated and you don't have anyone that you can share it with because if you do share, it's going to be repeated and you'll be judged or you know, you just need to keep it all in because you would never want to shame your family. So that was kind of what the breakdown <laughs> that mm-hmm. led to my breakthrough, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to dive into that a little bit with you because I think this is important. I think that you're probably not alone. I don't know how many you know people are listening that fall into the preacher's kid category, but certainly religion. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, sometimes feel like whether it's church or religion, um, it, there's also this kind of societal fabric that kind of feels similar. Um, for some people, you know, it might kind of take a similar flavor to what you're describing in, in these expectations, these ways to be, the lack of yeah. freedom. And I, I can't help but to think about, you know, Katie, who who adores you, um, who also is obsessed with kind of like cults and anything that kind of like, you know, gets people in a particular, you know, way mindset, you know, or, or maybe, you know, even brainwashing to some degree. And, and I'm not saying that's what happened to you, but she happens to just love that subject. And, yeah. and she's listens to every podcast. So, you know, I, I had to just <laughs> acknowledge that I was thinking about her. Um, as you were talking, you know, but but tell me a little bit more about kind of the the felt experience of being a child in an environment where you were seeing this kind of you know dichotomy of how your father was acting publicly and then acting privately, and the kind of you know felt sense of the expectations that were put on you. I mean, do, do you do you do you look back on that, and can you? you know, remember, like, what was that really like? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a very, you know, we, not to cycle babble, but, you know, like, I think all of us at some point in our lives um, are in a place of dissonance, right? Where there's like this very duplicitous nature (laughs) that we're living in. And I think that for me, I experienced that for the majority of my young life, even into, you know, being an adult. And I think, you know, looking at looking back at it, I mean, my dad, honestly, and in that household, that was the way that I learned that, you know, you can, it's okay, like, you know, to look great on the outside, but internally be a mess. And it, that, that duplicitous lifestyle that I saw, for whatever reasons, he, he did the things that he did, it impacted me in the way of like, okay, well, as long as I look the part, you know, I'm okay. 
and I'll fake it till I make it. And so I think that what happens is, is when you grow up in that, that with that philosophy, you start to try to become perfect you in everything that you do. And um, at least externally, at least what people can see, right? You want it to be this picture perfect, you know, view of yourself. And that really made growing up as a teenager very, very difficult. Because mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember, I remember never being allowed to be the Ikea that I was, you know, when people that I know from back then and um, even like just a couple years ago, they'll say to me, you, you're, you're not the same. You've changed. And I'm like, I guess I kind of get what you're saying, but like, I just think that I'm being the person that I always was because I'm allowed to be that person. Mm-hmm. Like what you guys saw was a facade because of what I had to become in order to survive. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, I can really relate to this. You know, I um, also kind of grew up in an environment where, you know, my dad was, and I've kind of talked about this publicly, you know, living a double life. And there was a high value on what it meant to be a man, to look good, to be successful, to shake a hand, look people in the eye, really like present as a Kaufman, whatever, whatever, right? There was a lot at a very young age um, kind of pushed on me that, you know, was a, a value set that wasn't really being lived out either. And I and I could see that as well. And that's what I was referring to, you know, whether it be parental childhood programming or societal programming, even. I mean, there is this expectation historically, generationally, that we're supposed to do certain things and be a certain way and look a certain way and value success, money, hard work, whatever it is, right? And we live into that. And then like, I'm guessing that that you were good at it too, right? <laughs> so when people say yeah. to you, when they say to you, like, you've changed they liked the way you were. Like you had managed, like you were faking it till you made it, but you were making it that way. And it just wasn't yeah. you. But that makes right. it even harder to break, right? Because it's it's like, well, I could keep doing this thing. It, it's in some ways it's really working. It's just really out of alignment with who I actually am. Yeah. I mean, I would you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think it's much easier for me to have continued in that path. Um, you know, in all honesty, I took the road less traveled, which is to break away from what was comfortable. And so for me, being uncomfortable is kind of normal now. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think about it, like when you, to your point, are a high functioning person and you're able to make it and, and, and fake that, it's like you lose your friends that you thought were your friends. You lose people. You lose a lot of relationships. Because who you became or who you always were is not the, what they signed up for. And so it's a lot of, um, it's very interesting because like while I have been feeling so free and so, you know, just more like, just better about myself in general, there's also been a lot of loss. And there's also been a lot of hurt that I've had to embrace. Yeah. 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 No, this is hard. This is hard. Yeah. Right. This is the the road less traveled. And the reason that is, is because first of all, making the decision to take that turn is, is really hard, but then to keep going through it, you know, is where you're in some, some rare air. And I want to talk about that, but I want to kind of back up a little bit and still hear a little bit more of kind of, what happens? I mean, you're, you're, you're a kid, you're in this home, you're a preacher's mm-hmm. kid. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of starting to embody the things that you're learning, you know, of fake it till you make it or, you know, <laughs> looking good. And, and, and so what does that look like, you know, as a, as a kid, as a teenager, like what, what does that, what does that end up looking like? Who are you at that time? I mean, so, you know, you will be at home and you'll see your mom and dad, like, you know, 
having an argument and your dad verbally and emotionally abusing your mom and being very scary, quite frankly. And, um, and then that's right before church. And then he comes to church and everything's okay. And glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And you're supposed to sit on the second row, like a perfect preacher's kid with a smile on your face and pretend like you didn't just see your mom crying her eyeballs out. You know, that was, that was a very hard thing to hear, you know, to, to be in um, my bed sleeping at night, you know, and to hear my mom and dad, you know, fighting and yelling, um, waking me up in the middle of the night. But the things that they were talking about was other women in the church and extramarital affairs. And so then seeing my mom disrespected as a woman, you know, and feeling as though, you know, because he, um, took care of her that she felt like she, she had no other place to go, you know? So it was just kind of like, you know, I'm watching all of this and I'm like, oh my God, like my mom is so helpless. And so then you instantly as a, as a, as a girl, you know, I start to like take that on and start to feel like I have to parent her, you know, and I have to like, because she seems to be helpless and, you know, and then that's, that's more like elementary school. Right. And then I start getting into the rebellious, like middle school years and, um, you know, and I wanted to play soccer. I didn't forget this. And because, you know, in my denomination and religion, girls weren't athletes because they didn't want to, my dad didn't want me to be looked at as a job because he was scared that that would turn me into, um, somebody who, was a lesbian. I mean, you know, and this just, you know, and I, I don't mean to say that offensively. Like, I don't feel any kind of way about that, but he was, that's how he felt. And so then I had to squelch that, you know, desire of wanting to play soccer because he thought that me playing a sport was going to make me like girls. And so then I sat around all summer and I ate a lot. And when I started to gain weight, then he talked about how fat I was. So then I immediately went into an eating disorder. And so that's how the mental health stuff started to like creep up and peak. And then you get into, that was middle school. Then you get into high school and I'm really, really like bored and really wanting some extracurricular things to do. But the only thing that my dad seems to think that I'll fit in is the church world because I have this real, you know, amazing talent to sing or whatever he thought. And I didn't want to do that, but I did it because it got me out of the house but I like boys and I was curious about boys and I was taught that I needed to squelch that because, you know, I don't care what anyone else says. You're not a human. Like that's the kind of stuff that I was taught. Like you're not to feel you're not these desires and things like you're not to be normal. You're to be extraordinary. And so I, I found myself being that way in front of him and lying to him and basically becoming him, right? Because that's what he was doing, lying and then living a double life. Mm -hmm. And so I would be one way in front of him and then at school and outside of school, be a totally different person. And so it just kept repeating itself, the cycle over and over and over again. And there were periods where I completely embraced my faith and my relationship with God. And then there were periods where I was just completely angry and was completely turned off from God, Jesus, marriage, church, but still forced to participate in something that I wasn't even sure that I believed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that. I, I, I think, you know, or I wonder if you've ever had conversation with your dad or if you, you ever got to an understanding of what his intentions were really, you know, m- my belief, or I should say my experience is that most of what parents do is um, unconscious to what's really going on. You know, it's, yeah. it's there. If there's something, you know, like in my case, you know, I don't think anybody intended I don't think my dad intended for me to be traumatized by his actions. Mm-hmm. He was just living in his own state of trauma. 
in his own state of addiction or his own state of um, unconsciousness. And and, you know, then there were some unintended consequences, right? I, I don't believe that he didn't love me, that he didn't care for me, that he didn't want the best for me. He just didn't know how to live his own life, let alone, you know, parent somebody else into, you know, what was actually in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but the intention, I believe, was there uh, that looking a certain way, acting a certain way, being a certain way, excelling, you know, in my case in sports and school, whatever it was, that those were going to be things that would be good for me, right? Um, mm-hmm. a good, and the intention was good. And, and so I'm wondering as you kind of maybe look back upon mm-hmm. your dad or as now, you know, a parent yourself and having perspective on, you know, kind of, how hard it is to parent and, you know, um, how do you, you know, just let your kids be or where do you step in and try to influence them because you think it's in their best interest? You know, when you kind of look back on all of that, what do you think? I mean, you know, how do you feel about your, your, your father? So that's a really, um, complex answer, but, um, to your point, I agree with you that um, my father too was parenting out of his own trauma. And I think that, uh, you know, he grew up in a really rough area in Baltimore, Maryland. And, you know, he was a, a juvenile delinquent. And so one of the things, you know, that really rocked his world and shaped his life was when he decided to become a Christian. And so I think at that moment, it was a really pure thing. And so in the black community, you know, when, you know, they see a young man that's truly serious about Christianity and their walk with God and their faith, you know, they kind of rear them into, you know, being a, um, a preacher, you know, and that was, you know, I think just automatic for my dad, you know, he just, he, I don't even think he thought that he had any other choice. And so, I think that there was a certain set of standards and behaviors that he felt that when you're a preacher, you have to look this way, you have to walk this way, you have to behave this way so that you can, you know, not cause anybody else to mess up because of what they see you as their spiritual authority doing. So I think that that was what he brought into parenting me. I also think that because he, wasn't parented by his real father. I think his concept of love is very different. Um, and it's very, uh, transactional, you know, so he's not used to being loved without condition. Therefore he loves with condition. And so I think that that was probably why our relationship uh, was the way it was, you know, as it is currently, you know, I think that um, I love my dad and uh, will always love him because of my father and I'm thankful and have gratitude for everything that he's done for me. Um, and I've had to work hard to get to a place to be able to say that because there was a time when I had to allow myself to be angry and really grieve. Um, but, you know, currently, he and I um, just do better when there's space and distance between us. And we've both realized that that's the relationship and that's okay and not trying to force it. And I think that that's been growth on my part as well. Because I used to think that, oh, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And now I don't really qualify it as wrong or right, good or bad. It just is. Yeah, I mean I, that that's a really important lesson I think for people to hear and one that also I think really rubs the societal fabric you know in in a similar way you know that that we are supposed to do certain things um most of humanity believes that we should um have a family relationship that is in some kind of a framework, a box that, you know, 
looks like what we've seen our whole lives, you know, in the movies or, right? It's, you know, be with your family. And I subscribe to that. I do, you know, I really do. I I feel families like very important. And, um, you know, I'm willing to put a lot of things aside, you know, for family and, 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 you know, really make sure that my relationships with my family are um, prioritized. And, and sometimes that's not really that workable, <laughs> you know? And I think we <laughs> talk about that a little bit, you know, that, that yeah. I actually have a therapist who just kind of shared the, her, her, you know, view on this, which is like, there's some people she just doesn't really want in her life. You know, and there's some people she wants in her life, you know, a little bit. And then there's, you know, some that she wants a lot more. And she's just kind of at peace with that. Um, That's, you know, I think another one of these things that, you know, takes some hard work because it's not easy to say, to do, to be at peace with. Yeah, I mean, it is. I have to, I'm going to have to give a shout out to, to, Katie here because we just had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to her about how um, right now in my journey, I am learning to be okay with an uncertainty. And I'm learning to be okay with not knowing. And so in the world that I come from, and also in the world of anxiety and all these other things, there's a lot of black and white and gray. I was taught gray is not good. Gray is lukewarm. Gray is straddling the fence. You're either in or you're out. You're you're on this side or you're on that side. And I do agree that for some things, yeah, I think that there is a right and wrong in some things. I do think that um, there has to be, you know, decisions made on some things. But when it comes to the complexity of a relationship with another human, um, I think that you have to embrace the gray. And you have to understand that there are going to be things that are just the way that they are. And um, my father and I, that is, um, that's what it is. Like he is going to be who he is. He's been that way forever. (laughs) And I'm okay with that because I am who I am. And um, I think that it has been a challenge in my growth, accepting that. But I will give you an analogy. I heard this, I heard a psychologist say this, and I have to say this because this is like my analogy of the summer <laughs> and spring and maybe fall. But you take an alligator, right? And let's just say we got an alligator, we filled up our bathtub with water, we put the alligator in the bathtub. And we the alligator's just in there. And every so often we come and we try to pet the alligator. And with the expectation that the alligator is not going to snap at your hand. Well, that's kind of silly, right? Because there's going to be one time or another that he's going to eventually snap at your hand. And alligators, that's what they do. That's, That's who they are. And so for me, I've learned that my dad is that alligator <laughs> where I have, you know, I used to allow him in my space, which would be my bathtub. I used to put my hand out and kind of coddle him and pet him. And every single time my hand would get snapped off, it snapped at, And then sometimes he would snap it off. And it, that would be, that would be equated to the very painful things that would end up happening. And then it would really mess me up and make me spiral out into, um, you know, my unre- like being an unrecovered state. And it was not great. And so I think you have to realize that there are some people that you just have to leave them alone in their own area and where they're safe and you can observe from afar. Yeah, I think that's a really great message. Um... Yeah. And I think that's kind of a hard thing to learn and accept, you know, for people that really, you know, want to love on everybody and have everything be great (laughs) and, you know, perfect. And, you know, to just accept sometimes that there's certain people that you can't help and that are on their own journey and that, you know, you've got to put some boundaries up around. And um, 
I also can, you know, really relate to the part that you were, you know, sharing about looking good and 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 kind of like, you know, arriving where you are. I mean, I think there's a similar path in this and journey that, you know, I can relate to and I appreciate you sharing. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you move forward. I mean, you know, we're we're kind of unpacking a lot of things that you've arrived at and landed yeah. on. And, and a lot of that has really come even in the last four or five years. You know, w- what happens though, you know, teenage years, you, you talked about kind of, you know, living this double life, this, you know, kind of faking it and then going out and being, I mean, as you move into your young adult life, you know, kind of tell me about that and, and, and really kind of like what happens that leads you to this point where you decide that you want to make the change? Well, I think I'll, so I'll start with this. I always say that if you don't deal with life, life is going to deal with you. And I think that that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I, I graduated from college and, you know, I think that when I was in college, I want to say that I probably had a couple of panic attacks that I didn't realize that that's what they were. So at that point, the anxiety disorder that I would later be diagnosed with had already started to rear its head. And, but I didn't recognize it because I didn't have a language you know, to, to call it. So um, I experienced those types of things and insomnia and all that, but I just attribute it to, you know, oh, that's just life. So I think, you know, I'm, I meet Michael and we, you know, I'm very confused, right? And not really sure of who I am. And so I look at Michael as this, you know, knight in shine, shining armor, which, which he is, he is, and he was, you know, he's great, you know, but I looked at him in the way of like, okay, he's going to come and save me from all of this craziness in my family. And so I wasn't aware that knowing who I was or my personal identity as a woman was going to be so important going into that life. And so when I got into that life and I was married and his career started taking off and I started being exposed to all of these different types of people and things and money and success, those insecurities, because I didn't know who I was as a woman, started to rise. And ultimately, you know, you try to numb by, you know, for me, it was buying things and looking pretty, having a baby and kind of, you know, putting my all into the baby. Um, You know, those types of things, maybe going to, trying to look into going to graduate school so that I could feel validated so that people would be like, oh, this is totally why he chose her. I was always trying to figure out and find a way for people to understand why he chose me because I never understood that I was deserving or worthy. Um, And so years and years and years of that and a second baby later, I just have had all I could take, you know? And um, I go to the doctor for a routine um, check and they send me to get a mammogram and I'm in the biopsy place the next day. And, um, you know, being told that I definitely have cancer, they just need to figure out what type it was. And so that just sent me through just the roof with my anxiety. And I think I was never the same, you know, from that point on. And I think the anxiety disorder really came to a head to where there was so much that my nervous system over the years and trauma that my body and nervous system had remembered that um, I had a breakdown. And that was what actually led me, you know, on this whole path of mental health uh, journeying for myself and self-evolution, but also advocating for other people. So yeah, let's back up for a second. I um, think there's a lot there that's really important for people to hear. And, and what we're talking about is, you know, these kind of imprints, um, yeah. programming, conditioning that happens at a very early age and then uh, starts to show up in, in the way that we live and 
in the body, which I think mm-hmm. is a piece that is becoming more understood. I mean, there's certainly people that have understood that for you know centuries, but but you know, there's been a lot of publicity more recently around somatic therapy, body keeps the score, taming the tiger. I mean, there's a lot there yeah. around um, trauma. Um, I'm actually reading a great book right now called um, How to Do the Work. Um, the Holistic Psychologist is a great follow on Instagram. And she kind of breaks down trauma, trauma bonds um, in a very kind of uh, you know elementary way, which I like. It's, it's very simply um, and easily uh, digested. And, and, and I'm learning so much about this and I'm seeing... In, in my own story, in, in your story, I think this is true for everybody, everybody, good, bad, or otherwise, right? That you get this messaging as a kid, as a child, and it gets into the body and it sits there, right? And at some point, our bodies start to tell us, ouch, or I can't take it or enough, right? And yeah. they react. Yeah. They react, which is, you know, mm-hmm. what happened to you. But but I wanna before we talk about like the 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 journey of healing, you know, I, I'm really struck by the experience that you had with Michael, right? That mm-hmm. that like, yeah, of course he Michael is a great human being. He's a wonderful man, right? Like you were attracted to that for sure, right? And yet there was this wounded part of you that was also attracted to the savior, right? And the the, the validation that it's going to make everything okay. All my problems go away. All my dreams come true, right? And we do this. This is a thing that we really do, you know? And we do it unconsciously. You weren't consciously really aware right. of why you thought that was true or needed that to be true. It just happened. And, and that unconscious action is that conditioning that's been embodied from childhood. And I just think yes. it's fascinating because there's nothing, even, even when you talk about the eating disorders and the, um, the way that you acted out as a kid, like none of this, none of this is your fault, right? Right. <laughs> you, like you, you just were born into this life and then this yeah. happens, you know, and it's yes. not your fault, but, but there is a shame cycle. There is a, there is a lot of, I don't know, it's such a struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't, maybe you could just speak to it a little bit more before we kind of move to the healing piece. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before I even get to the Michael part, you said something so profound and beautiful that I want to point to. You know, when you talked about the shame cycle and (laughs) how none of it was my fault. Now, I realize what you're saying is true now, that it wasn't my fault. And one of the, the ways that I knew that I was starting to realize that was when every time I would have to go to therapy, I would get pissed. Because I was like, I am in therapy and I am in this place because of something that I didn't even break. I've got to fix something that I didn't break. And that was how I kind of knew that like I was starting to realize that like, you know, this wasn't me. And I think that that was when kind of the shame cycle from that particular part of my life started to break off of me. Um, You know, as it relates to, to Michael, I think, you know, it's so profound when to connect the two as far as a Christian background. And obviously, you know, there's this, you know, philosophy of a savior. And then there's like, you know, there's a lot of that, right? That kind of subconsciously comes into your mind. And I think that for me, I always tended to look at a person to be a safe place, a person to be the savior, a person to make it all better and come in, you know, the Jesus Christ syndrome, right? Which is laying on of hands and make it all better. And that's kind of what I always looked at people to do. And that was one of the expectations that I had for other human beings, which was why I was so disappointed a lot of times because they were 
not saviors. They're humans living a human experience and figuring it out just like I was. Um, and so I think, you know, I came into the marriage with that mentality and there was a lot of growing and there was a lot of hard times that, that I had to grow through, that Michael had to grow through because um, of just what I came into this thinking. You know, it, it was supposed to look like or it was going to be because of that kind of unconscious conditioning. Yeah, no question. And, um, you know, as we kind of talk about then what happens, you know, you, you, you right. physically have this breakdown where you realize, you know, something's not working. The way this is going is just not workable for you anymore physically. And, mm-hmm. and that leads you into a, a mental health uh, journey. And you yeah. know, there's a few things that you know, I want to make sure we talk about. You know, one, I, I'm really moved by what I see and what you said about both being on your own healing journey and then also advocating for the work. I think there's a lot of times where people feel like you have to heal first and then do something right yeah. but 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 you've been doing it as you're going i i believe that's kind of how that's part of the healing journey right that the more yeah. you're out there advocating what you're doing is you're also in conversation you're in community you're learning you're getting exposed to other people's journeys to to experts in the field it's all kind of working together once you get in there has yeah. that been true for you? I mean, well, let's let's start with that kind of both the healing and the advocating going on parallel paths. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the conversations that Michael and I have often is entrepreneurship one hundred and one, where he, you know, has said to me, "You create something uh, based upon a pain point for you." And that's kind of been how I started, you know, the whole work that I was doing. And so I, I didn't have community, as I said earlier, and we both have talked about how important that is. And so I said, okay, if I can't find it and nobody's talking about it, in particular, nobody that looks like me is talking about it, then I'm going to create it and I'm going to normalize it. And so that was really why I, you know, started doing the work, but then also carrying other people along on the journey with me. So it was, it was twofold because it was healing for me and therapeutic for me, but it was also healing and therapeutic for the people that I was helping. And, and to be quite honest, on a mental health journey, when you have um, diagnosed things, right, such as I do, it's not linear. It's like, it's definitely, healing is not linear. Recovery is not linear. So there are days when it's going to, you know, you're going to step back and just not be feeling your best. And so on those days, I'm able to look at my community and receive a push from them um, to continue the work and kind of read through some of the comments that I get. And so it's just all been a, a real blessing, I think. And I don't think I would, I would do it any other, other way, honestly. And, and tell me a little bit about well, well let, yeah, tell me a little bit about kind of that last piece, like I wouldn't have done it any other way. Do you feel that way about you mentioned you know having gratitude for your father do you, you know when you when you look back now that you've kind of landed where you are, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm even wondering there was this messaging about you're not human, be extraordinary, right yeah well, right now, now. I mean, I think you are extraordinary and what you're doing is extraordinary. And I'm wondering, do you look back on some of that as like, you know, that's not exactly how you meant it, but, but I got it. You know, I got the message that, you know, God didn't put me here to be average. I am human and I'm extraordinary. I don't know. That's kind of how I look at you. But I'm wondering, do you look back on this whole journey and see how it serves you or where do you sit with it as you reflect all the way back? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think that it would be impossible for me to look at, you know, where I was 
and and how far I've come without thinking that where I've come from has served me, you know? And that's why I said what I said about having gratitude, because I think had I would have not, you know, had the experiences that I had with my dad and my family and my upbringing, I wouldn't have had the pain point. Maybe I would have had a different pain point, but I wouldn't have the pain point that I had um, that used, you know, that I used to start advocating for mental health. Um, so I've definitely, um, I, I've definitely looked at it that way. Um, and, and I think that it's made me who I am today and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell the, I want to hear, and, and I want our listeners to hear a little bit about what you've been doing the last few years. You know, what, what does somebody do that is at the beginning of a healing journey? You know, what, what modalities have been effective for you? You know, where did you start? What did you do? I mean, you know, where does somebody go that's, you know, feeling this need for change or anxiety or physical, mental, yeah. you know, kind of um, stress or, or, or break? I think the, the one thing I will say is curiosity. And just noticing, like, you know, being curious with yourself um, when there is a reaction instead of a response to something, being curious about why you're reacting that way, being able to take a step back and say, whoa, like, what was that about? You know, because usually our reactions are very much deeper than what we even think that they are. And so I think encouraging um, ourselves to go a little deeper. Um, and ask ourselves those tough questions. Um, I think for me, um, what I didn't say, which I apologize, I was all over the place with the timeline, but you know, way before I even started um, or got the diagnosis four years ago, I had started you know, going to therapy um, about eight years ago just because I wanted to be a better mom. And you and I both know, and anybody who's ever gone to therapy, you go to therapy with one reason and then you come out with <laughs> a whole other reason why you went. And so I, before I started talking to my doctor about anything, I went to a therapist and just started talking and talking through my thoughts and why I was feeling a certain way I was feeling and unpacking my past. And a lot of people, they don't like to unpack their past. They don't like to go backwards because they're like, there's nothing I can do about it. No, there's not. But in order for you not to repeat history, you have to understand the impact that it's had on where you are today. And so getting curious with why I was the way I was and why I handled that way and then went and talked to somebody about it. And after that, that I, I did that for a couple of years and it just was not enough, which let me know that there was something chemical going on. And so I went and talked to a doctor. And I got some help there, you know, with the traditional medicine and things. And then I went a little deeper and started uh, doing the actual like um, cognitive therapy where, you know, it's working therapy <laughs> where you're filling out these worksheets and, you know, and they're asking you questions and you basically are reprogramming your brain to think a different way. And that, when I started doing that and finished that work, that was what absolutely changed my entire mental health path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really deep work. And I do think that sometimes, you know, it takes a bit of uh, discovery and certain things kind of land with you at certain times and you're only ready for certain depth until you kind of peeled it back a little bit. And mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely not a one size fits all. There's, you know, a lot of different kind of um, fumbling around through it until you can find the things that land with you. And, and, and I want you to speak to that. You know, one of the things that I related to earlier in this conversation was this idea of being with the uncertainty, you know, mm -hmm. that, that you're, you've learned how to just be with the as is and the unknown and 
this is really, really tough. You know, for me, this is tough. Yeah. You know, I, I'm somebody that likes to just get shit done. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, like that's we we, we want to heal. Okay, well, let's just let's go heal, yeah. right? Well, yeah. and we'll do that, like you know, by tomorrow, right? And and it doesn't work like that. Sometimes there are things you cannot control: the timeline, the outcome, the 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 way that it that it unfolds. For me, healing and and life is really more like that than I had been experiencing it. You know, I was really on this like get it done, you know, achieve outcomes. And I was able to do that, but that's not really how this whole thing works. And so maybe you could speak to just kind of the journey in the uncertainty where there isn't really a timeline and a finish and a pretty bow that, you know, we'd like to put on all this. Yeah, I think um, you read my mind because I was actually going to to say that if you asked me to wrap up with anything, um, there isn't a timeline. There isn't, you, you can't put the pressure on yourself to rush and be done. And you have to also have the realistic expectation that um, there may be some things that, you know, they may not hurt as bad, but you may just have to live with, and that's okay. You know, part of the human experience, I think, that we all share is suffering. And there are some things that although we may not suffer as badly or feel the pain as strong, there are some traumas and some things that are just going to be there, memories that are just going to be there. And we have to be okay with that. And the kinds of stuff that I'm talking about right now took me eight years, almost nine years to get to this point. Doesn't mean it's going to take everybody eight or nine years, but it took me eight or nine years and I'm still learning. I don't think that there's ever a place that you're going to reach, that we're going to reach, that we are completely you know, actualized and perfect. I think that there's just a continuation, right, of evolving and um, just be patient with that. And, um, and I think that it'll all work out. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. I have a couple more things I want to just, um, hear from you before we wrap up, but, um, you talked about suffering and, you know, I can't ignore the collective suffering that's gone on over the last year. You know, there's the pandemic you know, the George Floyd murder. There's, you know, a lot of suffering. I'm also wanting to just specifically hear from you as a black woman in the mental health space. You know, you talked a lot about like the black community, the the church community. You know, what's it like for you now, today, with all that's going on to also lean in into this, you know, what's already kind of a stigma space, you know, yeah. but as a black woman in today's times, tell me about what that's like for you. Well, you know, it's, it's hard. Let me just start there. You know, it's just really hard. Um, I shed a lot of tears and I've been really exhausted. And I've also been working a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> because just the conversations that I've been having with my kids, the conversations that I've been having online and interviews and things like that, and then also just trying to take a moment and breathe and you know take care of myself. It's hard because Black people already stigmatize mental health. It's hard because the reasons that they stigmatize mental health is because of the systemic racism that is in mental health treatment when you are Black. And it's hard to find representation in the psychiatric world, in the psychotherapist world. Um, And so a lot of Black people want a therapist to look like them. That wasn't my story, but a lot of people do that I've talked to. And the reason that is, is because they want somebody that's going to understand their lived in experience in a black body and the trauma that is 
very generational and is passed down, but also the trauma that they live every day knowing that they are treated differently and don't have the same access to opportunity. And so every time you see something on the news or you hear something, it's re-traumatizing. And so my community just quite frankly hasn't been attended to because there's just not enough uh, people that look like them. There's also, you know, not enough access to it because of the resources. Um, it costs money. Um, and a lot of times it costs money out of pocket. Um, not to mention when, you know, somebody like me um, that comes into a doctor's office and says, hey, I think I'm, you know, having these kind of thoughts or feeling this kind of way. We're either, we're either underdiagnosed and undermedicated, overdiagnosed and overmedicated. There's never a true uh, seeing and hearing of the human's experience in the office. And so it's been very difficult um, to encourage Black people, brown people to go and get help because of those things. And there's a lot of work to do, quite frankly. And there are a lot of answers that you know, I don't have. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I don't know, you know, if people are watching or listening or if they can really tell the the kind of first, uh, you know, tears that that come when you even think about the subject because it's daunting. You know, there's a there's a collective suffering and I get that you really feel that and that's hard. Um, yeah. And it's hard in general, you know, I think for... Uh, all of us that you know care and want to do something because it's not a straight path to what to do. This is a really deep systemic problem that's been you know generational, and it's um, one that's not an easy fix. You know, and so yeah. um, I, I really applaud you in stepping into doing the work while you work on yourself. You know, mm-hmm. also really being there for other people and knowing how hard that is. You know, you're a mom and a wife and <laughs> a human being and, you know, a friend and, and uh, you know, all these things before you even start doing something for other people. So I really applaud what you're doing and who you are and how you're living and sharing. And, and I want to just make sure we take a minute to talk about what you are doing and where people can find you. And um, we'll put all the social tags, you know, in the notes, but like talk about the work that you're doing as an advocate and, you know, maybe how people can support you in that. Absolutely. Um, First off, thank you for saying all of that too, about, you know, just the disparities and and all of that. Thank you for acknowledging that and actually hearing, hearing me and listening. Um, yeah, I am on Instagram all the time. <laughs> I try mm-hmm. to be, you know, a, um, that's my social media platform of choice because I understand it the best. Um, so I'm one there. I'm always, you know, posting content, you know, that I feel is valuable and try to lift people's spirits and encourage them. So at Akia Red is my Instagram handle. Also, uh, my website, akiared.com, where you can find out the latest on what I'm doing, um, events. Um, the newsletter, also, um, you know, different places that I show up in the press, kind of all over the place, always, you know, talking about stuff. And um, I just started a a nonprofit called the Real Girls Foundation, and that is geared towards young uh, Black women between the ages of twelve and seventeen. My focus uh, with the foundation is mental health awareness. But in particular, um, because of my lived-in experience being a Black woman with an eating disorder, there are a lot of disparities in that particular area of treatment. And so I focus in a lot with the foundation on finding young women the uh, resources to you know, understand what having a positive self-image looks like. And you know, not looking at the latest YouTuber or social media influencer for how your body should look and how your, you know, makeup should look, but just searching from within and um, kind of letting that show outwardly. Yeah, I really have been into that lately, and and my my goal is is to really intervene 
with these younger women because I think that early intervention is key. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. A lot of good work. It's wonderful to have a chance to spend some time with you today and kind of dig into your journey in more detail. And I know it'll be helpful for others to hear. So thanks for taking the time and thanks for everything you're doing. And thanks for being a good friend and look forward to getting out and about and seeing you guys soon. So it's wonderful to be with you as always. Well, thank you for having me, Brett. This is awesome. What a conversation. To be continued. Thanks, Akia. All right. Bye, Brett. All right. That was great, Akia. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Wow, you made me go deep. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> I can't Man, help I it. Like, yeah, well, I love it. I mean, obviously, like, it was just like, you know, all we were missing was like the steak from the top and like a cocktail. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that soon. Soon. Yes, absolutely. Well, it was good talking to you. Okay, you too. Take care. Say hi to Michael. Bye-bye. I sure will. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.